0: He kept asking, he kept searching for answers. Eventually he came across an older soldier whose father had told him the answer. About 150 years before Alexander II, during the reign of Catherine the Great, that region had a very harsh and terrible winter. Catherine the Great looked out the same window into the backyard that Alexander II was looking out, and through the snow, she saw the first flower of spring sprouting up. And so she told a guard to go out there and guard it, to make sure that it didn't get trampled, to make sure that it didn't get ran over. 150 years passed, and that order was never rescinded. For 150 years, the story goes, guard after guard, year after year, day after day, stood there guarding a spot where a flower used to be and probably that flower only lasted for a few days. It's what they'd always done and so it's what they were going to continue to do. It was a tradition. We all have traditions, don't we? Families, over the years, after repeated actions take place year after year, families form traditions and they do things in traditional ways. We have traditions whenever it comes to the holidays. We have traditions whenever it comes to sports. We have traditions when it comes to cooking. Have you ever heard or seen family recipes being passed down throughout the generations or doing this in the kitchen in this particular way? We all have traditions in a lot of different areas of our lives We also have traditions in religion. We have traditions in the church. So as we look at this story tonight in Mark chapter 7 verses 1 through 13, we're going to see a conversation, really a conflict taking place between Jesus and the Pharisees that's going to help us to interact with that reality over the next few minutes. As we look at this section of scripture, first, we're going to walk through the story. And we're going to summarize the story. We're going to see what takes place in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. And then once we walk through, summarize the story together. Once we look at the details of this specific section of scripture, we'll come back together at the end and see how this can apply in our lives. We'll see how this can apply in our relationships with God, our relationships with one another, and our relationship with the church of our Lord. And so if you're there in Mark chapter 7 and verse 1, let's notice this story together. The Bible says, now when the Pharisees gathered to Him, talking about Jesus, oftentimes throughout the Gospel of Mark, we've seen this. We've seen the Pharisees coming to Jesus, having conflict with Jesus. But notice here, this is not just the local Pharisees. This is not just the local Pharisees. Religious, Jew, Jewish religious leaders in the area, in the region of Galilee, the Bible says in verse 1 that they came with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem. If we were to put that into business terms in today's time, it would be like sending somebody from headquarters to a particular branch or store or restaurant. These scribes, these Pharisees from the city of Jerusalem, would have been the authority. They would have been the leaders. They would have been the best of the best in this religious community. We've seen them come to Jesus before, haven't we? If you go back to Mark chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with the Jewish religious leaders from Jerusalem. Whenever they said to him, you're casting out demons by the power of the prince of demons. And Jesus there has a conversation about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now they're back. They're wanting to test Jesus. They're wanting to find something against Jesus so that they can convict Him, so that they can condemn Him. The Bible says again back in Mark chapter 3 and verse 5 that they were already wanting to put Him to death. And they're looking for a reason for that. They find a reason, don't they? Verse number 2. Now when the Pharisees gathered to Jesus with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of His disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Can you see the issue there? Can you see the problem? The Pharisees are looking not only at Jesus, but also at Jesus' disciples, and seeing that they didn't wash their hands before they sat down to eat. They ate with dirty and defiled hands. Why do we wash our hands before we sit down to eat? Usually, we wash our hands before we sit down to eat because we're concerned about hygiene. We're thinking about health. We want to get rid of all the germs on our hands. That's not what they're thinking here in Mark chapter 7. They're not thinking about hygiene. They're not thinking about health. They're not thinking about germs. In fact, they didn't even know what germs were back in this time. The reason that the Pharisees would wash their hands before they sat down to eat is so that they would continue to be ritually pure, that they would continue to be ceremonially clean. Now think about it from their perspective. If you touch something unclean by accident, and then you sit down to eat without washing your hands, and you grab the food and put it in your mouth, you're in a pretty bad situation, aren't you? And so the Pharisees would wash their hands Before they sat down to eat. Verse number 3 tells us that they did this in a specific way. It wasn't just washing your hands, but it had to be done properly. The English standard says that the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly. In verse number 5, the Bible says that they not only washed their hands, but they washed their cups, their pots, their copper vessels, and their dining couches so that they would continue to remain ritually pure and ceremonially clean. What does Mark call that? This practice of the Pharisees washing their hands before they sat down to eat. What does Mark call that? Starts with a T. He calls it tradition. It was a tradition of the elders. It was a tradition of the scribes. A tradition that had been passed down from rabbi to rabbi. It wasn't a commandment from God. In fact, if you go back to the book of Exodus and you look at the Mosaic law as a whole, which they would have been living under at this point, the only rule when it came to washing your hands in terms of ritual purity was for priests whenever they were about to make a sacrifice. This was not a command from God. This is not something that God had told them to do. This was a tradition that they had come up with themselves. We have to understand the worldview of the Pharisees. The Pharisees lived by two types of law. The first law was the written law, which is the Old Testament. The 39 books of the Old Testament, which we still have in our Bibles today. But they also had a second type of law, which they called the unwritten or the oral law. These were the traditions that were passed down by their rabbis, their teachers, their elders, their scribes. Washing their hands before they sat down to eat, was not a commandment from God. It was not found in the written law. It was found in the unwritten law. It was a tradition. But they viewed the two as being on the same level. They viewed the two laws as being equal with one another. That's why they're jumping all over Jesus in verse number five. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples, Jesus, you're the teacher here. You need to assume some responsibility. These are your disciples. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Jesus responds to that question with a rebuke. But it's not a rebuke of his disciples. He doesn't turn to his disciples and say something like, you know, they're right. We should be doing this tradition. Why didn't you do that? You you know that we should be keeping up with all these different traditions that the Pharisees have. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus doesn't rebuke his disciples. He actually rebukes the Pharisees. He begins in verse 6 by calling them hypocrites. That word in Greek is the term that was used for a stage actor. Jesus looks at the Pharisees and says, you're just putting on a facade. You're fake. You're like an actor in a play. You're just putting all of this on for show. And we're going to see that hypocrisy as we continue. He says in verses 6 and 7 that Isaiah's prophecy was well fulfilled in them. He said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Isn't that interesting? Something that Isaiah had said in the 8th century B.C. to a group of Jews still applied to the Jews in the 1st century A.D. standing in front of Jesus. He says, oh, you honor God with your lips. It sounds really good coming out of your mouth. But your hearts couldn't be farther away from God. He says, your worship is in vain. What does it mean for something to be in vain? It means it's nothing. It's useless. He says your worship is in vain. Your worship is useless. It's worthless. Why? Because your teaching is doctrines, the commandments of men. They had come up with these commands, like washing their hands before they sat down to eat. They had come up with all of these traditions and they were treating those traditions as if they were doctrine directly come from God. They were treating their traditions and the commandments that they had come up with, the standard that they had put into place with the standard that God... Had put into place. And Jesus takes issue with that. They have a heart problem. And they have a truth problem. And then Jesus continues on. In the the rest of the text. Verses 8-13. through To talk to them. About how they were leaving the commandments of God. Verse 8. How they were rejecting the commandments of God. Verse 9. How they were making the word of God void in their lives. In verse 13. So that they could establish and live by their own Traditions. They were choosing their traditions over the word of God. They were choosing their traditions above God's commands. And Jesus actually gives them an example of how they do that. It's not just them washing, not washing or washing their hands before they sit down to eat. When you look in verse number 10, Jesus gives them an example of this hypocrisy. He says, Moses said, honor your father and mother. That's from Exodus 20, one of the Ten Commandments. And whoever, this is Exodus 21, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. There are two commands from God that are pretty, pretty plain, aren't they? They say what they mean. Honor your father and mother and if you revile them, if you speak against them, you are worthy of death. Those are commandments that God had given in His Word. But notice what they had done. Verse 11, but in contrast to what God has said, but you say... If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained to me as Corbin, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Can you see the issue? God said, honor your father and mother. That's a plain and simple command of scripture. But the Pharisees said in their traditional thinking, well, if you tell your mom and dad that you're going to give all your money to God, then you don't really have to help them. You don't really have to honor them. You don't have to give anything to them. Jesus' conclusion is that you're rejecting and you're making void the Word of God in your lives for the sake of your own traditions. So that you can establish the commandments and the traditions and the standard that you have created. And that's just one example of many, Jesus tells them in verse 13, many such things you do. So this story is really a conversation that takes place between Jesus and the Pharisees that's all about tradition. It's all about upholding tradition above the Word of God. Jesus stands opposed to that. So now that we've walked through the story and we've seen some of the details of this story, let's seek out some application. Let's circle back around to our lives and see what we can gain from this story. I think as we look at the first 13 verses of Mark chapter 7, the first thing that we need to recognize and the first thing that we need to understand is that we have traditions. Even though we try to base everything that we do on scripture, even though we try to be as much like the New Testament church as we possibly can, as it's revealed in the pages of the New Testament, that doesn't mean that we don't have traditions When you look at the churches of Christ as a whole, and even when you look at this congregation, when you look at any congregation, traditions exist. Let me give you just a few examples of that. And again, this list is not meant to be exhaustive in any way, but this is just designed to get us thinking. This is designed to get us talking about this topic. Number one, the preacher wearing a suit and tie. I'm going to ask you a question But I'm not trying to be facetious in asking this question. Just think about it for a second. What color tie do you think Jesus wore whenever he went out to preach? When the Apostle Paul went out to preach, do you think he just wore a a, a shirt and tie? Or do you think he put on a suit or do you think he wore a sports jacket? Well, you know the answer, don't you? Ties, button-up shirts, suits, sports jackets didn't even exist back then. When Jesus and the apostles went out to preach, they wore what they wore every other time during the day. And we're going to say more about that in just a second. The preacher wearing a suit and tie is a tradition that we've created. It's a tradition that has been passed down. You don't find it in the pages of Scripture. Therefore, it's a tradition. While we're on the topic of clothing, let's talk about this one. What about wearing our Sunday best? Step into the New Testament world. Step into the New Testament church for just a moment. The Christians in the New Testament that we read about probably would have only had per person one or two changes of clothing. They didn't have full walk-in closets like we have where they could wear a different outfit every single day of the month. They had one or two changes of clothing. So what did that mean? That meant the clothes they wore to the marketplace or the clothes that they worked in And the clothes that they worked in are the clothes that they wore to worship God on the first day of the week. To my knowledge, the only place that the New Testament talks about the clothing that we're supposed to wear in worship is in 1 Timothy, the second chapter. And the only thing that it says is that we are to be modest. But then, if you dig into that idea of modesty in 1 Timothy 2, it's not the way that we oftentimes depict it, it's not wearing less. It's actually wearing too much in 1 Timothy 2. Paul's looking at a group of Christians who were wearing jewelry and flashy gold and they were braiding their hair. They were showing off how rich they were whenever they went to worship. And Paul takes an issue with that. And so wearing our Sunday best, dressing to the nines on Sunday morning, is a tradition that we have created and passed down. Number three, extending the invitation and the invitation song. I don't know about you, but I don't find anywhere in my New Testament where a preacher ends his sermon by saying, as we stand and sing, and then that's followed by where everyone stands and we sing an invitation song. It's just not there. It is a tradition that we have created. Number four, what about Sunday morning Bible class, Sunday evening worship, and Wednesday evening Bible study? Just hear me out on this one. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25 says that we're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Then you go to scriptures like 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 or Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. The Bible says the disciples came together on the first day of the week. Anything outside of that first day of the week gathering where Christians assemble to encourage one another and worship God seems to me to be traditional. What if we changed Wednesday night Bible study to Monday night Bible study? What if we had Sunday morning Bible class on Tuesday night? What if we didn't have Sunday morning Bible class? You couldn't condemn a congregation for doing that. Why? Because it's not laid out in the New Testament. It is a tradition that we have created, and it's a tradition that we have passed down. Now, while we're on this one, let me say something else. Let me tell you something that's not traditional, okay? Something that's not traditional but something that's quite biblical is wanting to be with your Christian brothers and sisters every time they assemble together. You find that in Acts the second chapter where they were together not just Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night but they were together when? Every single day. They were in each other's homes, they were going to the temple together, they were praising God and having favor with all people, Acts chapter 2 says. And so while some meeting times that we have might be more tradition based than scripture based, an attitude that says I want to be with my brothers and sisters every time they're together is not tradition, that's actually very scriptural. Someone could look at that message and say, well, good, Wednesday night Bible study is traditional. That means I don't have to go. Well, this isn't a question of whether you have to go. When was your relationship with Jesus ever a question of you have to do this? Isn't our relationships with Jesus based on the fact that we want to do this? That we want to worship Him? We want to worship the One who has created us and saved our souls. We want to be together several times throughout the week. It's not about a have to. It's about I want to. But we also need to recognize that some of the meeting times we have are traditions. Number next, number five, church buildings. Romans chapter 16 and verse number five says that the church at Rome met where? In a house. Church buildings are traditional. They didn't exist in the first century. Maybe sometimes we hear something like tattoos and piercings are a sin. Well, when I read my New Testament, I don't find anything mentioned about tattoos or piercings. But yet we have this idea that's passed down, this idea that we sometimes teach and preach, that tattoos and piercings are sinful, and we use scriptures like 1 Corinthians 3 or 1 Corinthians 6, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, go to 1 Corinthians 3, that's not talking about tattoos and piercings, it's talking about division, First Corinthians 6 is not talking about tattoos and piercings. It's talking about sexual immorality. We don't need to use scriptures out of context in order to justify traditions that we have. What about older worship songs versus there's a type of newer worship songs? I don't think that Seven Oaks has a problem with this. But just to note in our fellowship, in our brotherhood, there are some who only are set on singing the older worship songs and some would go even as far to say that it's sinful to sing those new songs they created a distinction between the two well the older songs those are the worship songs but the newer songs those are the devotional songs those are those are songs for the youth group we don't sing those songs on sunday we might sing them on wednesday but we're definitely not going to sing them on sunday well that distinction isn't valid isn't it whether it's old or new, if it's praising God and it's in step with Scripture, it is a worship song. I think what happens is we sing those older songs time after time after time, and in people's minds, they become the only songs that we sing. We need to be wise. We need to demonstrate wisdom in distinguishing between Scripture and tradition. We need to recognize that we have traditions. Yeah, if you heard point number one i need you to hear point number two as well because this is equally important we have traditions but number two traditions are not always bad are they sometimes when we hear oh that's a tradition well we need to throw it out we need to get rid of it if it's a tradition well not necessarily when you go to second thessalonians 2 and verse 15 paul says so then brothers stand firm and hold to the what the traditions That you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. There the word tradition is being used, but it's being used in a very positive context. He says you need to hold on to these traditions that we have passed down to you. Traditions are not always bad. Tradition is not always an ugly word. Sometimes traditions can help us to fulfill what scripture teaches us to do. But then, going back to the other side of it, traditions can be bad. Traditions can be spiritually destructive instead of being spiritually helpful. And that can take place in a few different ways. Number one, traditions are bad whenever they negate God's commands. I think that's the main point, don't you, that Jesus is making to the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Look again at verse number 8. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of man. That's an issue that Jesus takes up with. Verse 9, he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Verse 13, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. Traditions can be a good thing, but they are always a bad thing whenever they negate God's commands. Well, we've always done it this way. We've done it this way for years. My grandparents did it this way. That's not a very good rationale for why we do what we do, is it? You know what is a good rationale for why we do what we do? Well, why don't you turn to this book and we're going to look at this chapter and we're going to look at this verse. That's a good rationale for why we do what we do. A rationale, a thinking that is rooted in Scripture. That is rooted in what God has revealed to us. If tradition... Is ever elevated above God's command? If tradition ever causes us to leave God's commands or reject God's commands or make the Word of God void in our lives, then it's time to get rid of that tradition. We can't be like the Pharisees. We cannot teach as doctrine the commandments of men. We cannot negate what God has taught in Scripture for the sake of doing what we've always done. And so traditions are bad. They are spiritually harmful, number one, whenever they negate God's commands. Number two, traditions are always bad whenever they marginalize others. The Pharisees in Mark chapter 7 had their traditions and they were going to look down on you if you didn't keep their traditions. If you weren't like them, if you didn't keep their traditions, then you couldn't be faithful to God. You couldn't be who God wanted you to be in their mind and in their teaching if you did not keep their traditions traditions have you ever seen that kinda mindset in the church well you can't be a part of us if you don't keep our traditions you can't be faithful to God you can't be who God wants you to be unless you do what we have done for hundreds of years sometimes the temptation might be we have this opinion we have a tradition that we cling to and we feel strongly about it and we look down on other people whenever they're not living up to our standard we look down on people and it's not because they're not living up to god's word or god's commands or god's standard it's because they're not living up to our traditions the commands we have created the standards that we have put in place. Whenever we use our traditions to marginalize other people, that is always going to be spiritually destructive. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 1, Paul says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. If God hasn't talked about it in his word, and it's in the area of opinion, I don't want to fight about it. I don't want to quarrel about that. I don't want to fight about traditions. Let's not use them to negate God's commands. Let's not use them to marginalize others. And then number three, traditions are always bad whenever they are forced on other people. Isn't that what the Pharisees are trying to do in Mark chapter 7? They're trying to force their traditions... On Jesus and His disciples back in verse 5. Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders. But eat with defiled hands. They are trying to force the traditions that they have. Not only on Jesus but also on Jesus' disciples. And of course that is something that Jesus stands opposed to. In this section of scripture. I'm not saying you can't have an opinion. You can have your opinion. But don't force that opinion on anybody else. I'm not saying that you can't hold to a particular tradition as long as it's in keeping with the Word of God. But don't force that tradition on somebody else. We can have our opinions, we can have our traditions, but when we try to bind those on other people, that's when the problem comes in. Well, Brother So-and-So is my favorite preacher and he always wears a suit and tie whenever he preaches and so every preacher needs to do that. I wear my best on Sunday morning and so everybody else needs to dress to the nines. Everybody else needs to wear their best on Sunday morning. Can you see the problem with that kind of thinking? Tradition is not always bad, but tradition becomes a bad thing when it negates God's commands, when it marginalizes other people, and whenever we force it on other people. Paul says in Romans 14 and verse 13, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. In context, talking about the area of opinion, he says, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Isn't that a good rule of thumb? I'm not going to judge you for the opinions that you have. You don't judge me for the opinions that I have. Instead, let's just decide to not make each other stumble. Let's just decide to not hinder one another as we strive to live faithfully to Jesus on a daily basis. Now I recognize this is a big topic and I recognize that we have only scratched the surface as we've looked at Mark 7 verses 1 through 13 but I hope that this text will get us thinking. I hope that these thoughts will get us talking. We have traditions in the church and traditions are not always a bad thing. They can be a bad thing though if we do not keep them in their proper spot. We must walk in wisdom Whenever it comes to deciphering between command and tradition. We need to know the difference between the two. But then you look at this lesson from another sense. Strip away all the traditions. What is our responsibility? Well, we want to be who God wants us to be. We want to live in the way that God wants us to live. We want to obey His word. We want to fulfill His commands. Let's take part in what I believe to be a really good tradition that we have extending the invitation giving an opportunity for those who are lost to come to Christ you have that opportunity now as together we stand and sing why do you wait dear brother oh why do you tarry so long your savior is